One of the reasons I loved being an English major in college and still love reading is because of the way good stories and poems, good stories and poems well told, help us to see ourselves and our world with a little more clarity or in new ways. And the best stories and poems stay with us and continue revealing new wisdom for years. Many authors will even say that their written works take on a life of their own so that different readers will actually have uh, very different experiences reading. They will see and hear different things. It's one of the reasons why uh, teaching about literature can be so frustrating for both teachers and students alike, because there can be multiple meanings. So I consider our scripture for this morning a good story well told, which means I think it helps us to see ourselves and our world with greater clarity and in new ways, and has continued these revelations throughout history. But that can also make a sermon about it a little tricky. Not only because different people see and hear different things in this, but there are also actually two stories being told here. The story Jesus tells about the Samaritan and the story Luke tells about why Jesus told the story about the Samaritan. To add another layer of complexity to this, the story Jesus told was originally a spoken word story, a parable spoken, an oral story. In a sense, it was simply meant to be heard in the moment, experienced, and, and sort of one major thing stand out was not necessarily meant to be scoured over for details and threads that might pull together in different places. But Luke wrote it down in order to tell his story about Jesus. And adding even more complexity to all of this is that the story that Luke tells about Jesus' story is told within the larger story that Luke is telling about the whole of Jesus's life. And Luke's story is just one of several collected about Jesus that form a major section of another story, and it goes on for a while. All of this is to say that in the past, most of the times that I have read this story, I think I have been so focused on the story that Jesus tells about the Samaritan that I've missed a little bit. I think obviously focusing on that story is is fine. There's a tremendous amount we can learn from that story alone. It's why Jesus told it. But as I come to the story this morning, I still see how that story Jesus lifts up, uh, tells, lifts up the Samaritan as a model for the way of life that Jesus calls us to. But I think the story that Luke tells adds a very important note of grace and a little bit broader understanding. Jesus 
the, the story Jesus tells of the Samaritan calls us to love like that, like the Samaritan did. But the story Luke tells reminds us that to do so, we have to rely on Jesus. Let's first take a look at the story that Jesus tells. In essence, a guy is walking alone, gets brutally mucked. A priest sees the half-dead guy, crosses to the other side of the road, keeps going. A Levite, which is kind of similar to what our ruling elders the, on session. Um, there's sort of uh, somebody set apart for their wisdom and their example as a, as a follower, as one of God's people. So a Levite, after the priest, a Levite sees this half-dead guy, crosses to the other side of the road, and keeps going. A Samaritan sees the half-dead guy and not only stops, but does a ton to care for this person. Now, uh, because even though this was originally a spoken oral story, but has been committed to writing, it has been scoured over for meaning for centuries. And as a consequence of that, a lot of speculation has often been added to the telling of this story that I think uh, mucks things up a bit. A couple of prime examples. There are many commentators who have speculated on the possible reasons, possible even excuses, that the priest and the other religious leader had that would have prevented them from taking care of the half-dead person. And most of that speculation deals with rules about maintaining ritual purity. Another frequently shared speculation is that the victim deserved what he got. And this is usually told along the lines that this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notoriously dangerous, and this man was essentially stupid for traveling this road alone. So he got what he should have known was coming. But none of that is in the story itself. Jesus says nothing about why neither the priest or the Levite walked away. He only says that they did. And if the victim was stupid for traveling that dangerous road alone, so too is the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, because all three of them are walking that same road alone. No, Jesus simply says that each of these three were alone. They each clearly saw the half-dead man. The difference was what they did next. The first two walked away. Why? We don't know. The Samaritan stopped, and Jesus tells us why the Samaritan stopped. In verse 33, the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was and saw him, and he took pity on him. He took pity on him. In, that's the way the, uh, the NIV translates it. 
In the Greek, it's one of my favorite biblical words, splagnizo. It sounds like what it is. It basically, it's this, your guts are torn open out of compassion. You're just so moved with, with emotion about this other human being that it, it's just tearing your, your stomach apart. The Samaritan was deeply moved with compassion for this man. Years ago on a visit to Columbia, we were studying this story together, and one of the folks from Columbia said, the Samaritan was the one who knew what it felt like to be uncared for. I love that line. The Samaritan felt deep compassion for this hurt human being, and he did something about it. He did a lot about it. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on that, which was like basic first aid. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and that's emphasized in the Greek, and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, already a promise to come back, I will reimburse you for any ex extra expense you may have. The expansiveness of the Samaritan's help is significant. One of the commentators, Daryl Bach, observes, uh, here is a ministry that underwrites the victim's recovery from start to finish. It's, it's encompassing. Another practical issue is the personal, compassionate meeting of the basic needs, not the mere throwing of money at a problem in the hopes it will be fixed. The Samaritan provides personal resources. A theologian named uh, Glenn Stossen has a great definition of what the Samaritan expresses here. The, the type of love that he expresses. Stassen uh, claims that agape love, which is the kind of love that's expressed here, agape love is often defined as sacrificial love, which sees the normative way of Jesus as sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice. By contrast, Stassen advocates an interpre interpretation of agape as Delivering love, delivering love. Delivering love sees with compassion and enters into the situation of the outcast and oppressed. It does deeds of deliverance on behalf of the other. It invites the other into community with freedom, justice, and responsibility for the future. And it confronts those who exclude Thus, the drama behind the word love is not sacrifice without expectation. Love is behavior that is done for the well-being of others. Delivering love. I love that definition, that new way of, of talking about it. That was written for a, an entirely different context. But to me, it describes perfectly the Samaritan's love. Jesus tells that story and then he holds up 
the Samaritan as a model to follow. He says to the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer says, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now let's remember why Jesus told this story in the first place. And that's what Luke's story tells us. Luke starts it with, a lawyer came along, an expert in the law, and asked Jesus, what do I need to do, essentially like I was saying, to get into heaven, to enter into God's kingdom? And again, commenters have speculated on the lawyer's motivation for asking that question, everything from very legitimate reasons to very devious reasons. But whatever the reason, Jesus turns it back to him and, and says, what do you think the scripture says? And the man answers beautifully. He says, love God with all your heart, strength, soul, mind, and love others as yourself. Jesus commends him for his answer. He says, you have answered, uh, in fact, it's the, the root for orthodox. You have, you've answered orthodoxly or, or whatever however you say that. Um, if he had just stopped there, this would have been an entirely different story. Would have been, the man would have been held up as, as a, a man who is on his way. But he follows up with that question, okay, who is my neighbor? And we know what the other part of that is, who's not my neighbor? Now, I am going to actually defend this question a little bit. As I said earlier, there are a lot of people in this world. And those of us who live in urban areas have a lot of neighbors. I know I have asked that question in my mind before. Does Jesus really mean all my neighbors? And frankly, Jesus doesn't make things any easier with the story of the Samaritan. The Samaritan loves with this expansive, delivering love. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. That's not making any of this easier. It's almost the same as his first, do this and you will live. But now we know we are essentially neighbors to anyone and everyone, and were even more clear on the expansive nature of that delivering love. The former uh, Episcopalian priest, Barbara Brown Taylor, once wrote about the kind of difficulty Luke and Jesus create for us with this S Samaritan story and its surrounding uh, context, Luke's story. She, she writes... I've been thinking all week about the parable of the Good Samaritan, because she was preaching on it, reading creative commentaries on it and talking it over with my friends. At least one of the truths I got from this was that God comes to us daily in unexpected encounters with unexpected people, and if we are on the ball, we will not ignore them. Then, she continues, Thursday, I was driving to the work through the early morning drizzle 
my seatbelt on and my doors locked when I saw a car with its hood up on, she mentions a road. As I approached, a tall black man stepped into the road, holding up a pair of jumper cables and looking me straight in the eye. Several hundred pieces of information went through my mind in about three seconds. That man needs help. You're a single woman alone in a car. That man needs help. Never open your door to a stranger. Go to the nearest service station and send a mechanic. The man needs help. What if I cannot? Af- what if he cannot afford a mechanic? The man needs help. I'm sorry, I cannot help. Maybe the next person will. And I drove on to work to complete my research on the Good Samaritan. Well, let's all be real. I- I'm sure that in similar situations, those types of things have played out for all of us. The story Luke tells reveals a man who wants to know from Jesus what he must do to earn entrance into God's realm. The man knows the answer, at least in general, but it seems so daunting. And so he's trying to figure out if he can narrow the scope a little bit, make it doable. But Jesus makes it even greater. The one thing Jesus does is shift the focus. The important question isn't what kind of person should we help or not help. The important question is what kind of person should we be? Notice again, the content of Jesus' final question to the lawyer is which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. Not who did the neighborly things or who treated the man like a neighbor, who was a neighbor. The focus, that question focuses on the fullness of who the person is, the person's being, the content of their character. And even when Jesus says, go and do likewise, we can't do likewise for any sustained period unless we are likewise. Again, what moved the Samaritan to act in love was this overwhelming compassion from within. And importantly, Jesus describes the Samaritan's compassion with the same word that the gospel writers use oftentimes to describe to describe the compassion that Jesus has. And this is where the story that Luke is telling around the story Jesus tells brings us a note of grace. The foundation of the life that Jesus, that God wants for all human beings to live is this compassionate, delivering love. That's the foundation. Jesus affirms the answer the lawyer gave. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Strength, that's from Deuteronomy. And then again, as he adds, as we heard uh, in our Hebrew First Testament reading, the other half of that, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus once said, essentially, all the law, all the do's and don'ts is summed up in these two loves. We heard that Paul as well was summing that up in the same way. 
you can never go wrong doing this. And, and basically, this is what the law is after. That is how God wants all human beings to live. But none of us can do it. None of us can do it, not always, or not forever. So the good news Luke has been telling us throughout his gospel is, that's why Jesus came for us. To live the life that all of us were made to live. Loving God and loving others with this expansive, delivering love. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus becomes our life. We're forgiven and reconciled with God for all the times when we haven't loved God or others or when we won't love God or others. And we are strengthened and guided by the Holy Spirit within us to be the people of love that God wants us to be. Being like the Samaritan becomes a matter of then seeing those around us, listening for God's voice in the moment, letting our hearts be broken, and loving others with this delivering love. The story Jesus tells, as Daryl Bach puts it, makes the call no longer one of assessing other people, but of being a certain kind of person. And Luke's story reminds us that being that kind of person Jesus calls us to be happens when we allow Christ to change us from within. Ideally, we will be the kind of people who will love in the same way that the Samaritan did, in the way that Jesus does. But to be likewise, we must allow Christ to strengthen us and guide us from within. Amen.